If Maury supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Sending out good vibes. So the chances of college kids today getting a balanced political worldview is impossible. It's not going to happen. Just in the subtle stuff, jokes that professors tell or pass around for op-eds or whatever. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Great America Show. We are going to be chatting with Michael Shermer a little bit later. I'm sure a couple of you are like, what? Uh, yeah, it's a good chat. Actually, we have a fun time chatting with Michael. Uh, we didn't spend as much time arguing as you might think. Even Graham didn't spend too much time arguing. They seem to agree more than they disagreed. I kind of regretted it afterwards, but... You felt dirty. <laughs> Graham felt a little dirty for a couple of days after. He was second-guessing second guessing his performance and questioning his existence and wondering if podcasting is the right thing for him. <laughs> but uh, he bounced back. Here he is. I got to say, I enjoyed the chat with Shermer. It was funny because uh, when we started the show, Graham said he would never talk to Michael Shermer. Never coming on my podcast. No, did I say that? Yeah, you said I don't that. know. You, think you so? said that about several people. Do you think? But, I yeah. don't think so. Graham gets butt hurt sometimes, but that's okay. He let his guard down. We snuck Shermer on. We had a fantastic chat. Hey, it's cute. We got some things in common. Free There's grumpy speech, Graham free Dunlop right and, there. Uh, censorship and stuff like that. I mean, look, like th- this is a problem for the skeptics as well, right? If all of a sudden they stop, what if they, you know, are proponents of some sort of scientific revelation? They can't talk about it because they're being cens- censored. I mean, that's a that's an issue to everybody. When the skeptics get skepticed, yeah. When the skeptics get debunked. What's the, That's not the right word. What's the verb? Anyways, we do this little intro before these shows. So if you're wanting to listen to to, um, to Michael, you can skip ahead. There's a stamp in the show notes there. Timestamp. Timestamp. Absolutely. We just is. get rid of some housekeeping and we get some listener emails going and stuff like that. and uh, All that yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. It's a good time. Yeah. It helps us. But, involve the listeners a little bit. That's right. But I would like to have Michael back on one day. We maybe so have a debate on global warming or maybe on UFOs because uh, you and I are about to, you were visiting the medicine wheel down there. This is where our C, our next CE5 location is going to be. On Saturday. Have you been invited yet? I've been invited. Have you? Are you coming? I declined. You declined. I told yeah. him yeah. I mean, I thought it's nice. I think you guys me. are, uh, I think it's very... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Ambitious. Ambitious. Ambitious of you guys to head out there for a C5 during the longest days of the year. But uh, I think I, I'm going to... It's already getting shorter. The days are getting shorter. Not much. What time is it right now? It's almost 10 o'clock. It's pretty bright. The fucking sun's still yeah, up. Yeah, I know. That's the problem, <laughs> man. That's, that is that is an issue. So, yeah, Lisa but went we out on still... the new moon to try and look at the stars at midnight, and it was still... They were just starting to poke out at midnight. So I was like... I figure your C5 event is going to go from about 12.30 to 1.30. Yeah. And then you're going to have a two and a half hour drive home. It's not two and a half hours, is it? Well, you, you didn't even make the real, you didn't even find the real thing, I don't think. 
the, I found the Majorville medicine the Majorville wheel. Majorville medicine wheel, with yeah. With the sign and the gate yeah. around it and the really? little green gate with the latch on it. Hmm. Did it go up a hill, up a yeah. little hill there and stuff? Yeah. Hmm. And there was a sign that said Majorville medicine wheel. Yeah, I guess that's it. I'm pretty know. sure. I don't remember seeing this. Oh, maybe there was a sign. Yeah, okay. I'm yeah. pretty sure there's a sign. I'm pretty sure it just that's looked it. like it, we if went anything, in a different direction. You're to find going it. to the wrong one. There is some uh, discrepancies with all the ancient uh, medicine wheels and stuff around here. Could be. It seems like it was hard to find. Well, I just punched in medicine wheel into Apple Maps. Yeah. And something popped up. So you tried to go there? I didn't even finish type. So I just started typing in Majorville. Boom. Sundial medicine wheel. Like boom, here it is. That takes Looked, you to a completely it was close spot. to the right spot. Headed down there. It was about forty kilometers off. So the first <laughs> bad decision I made was like, I will take the car. Because you had said you could make it there in your car. I thought I could. I mean, I, uh, think I, I mean, you probably could, but the road is pretty treacherous for sure. And I got onto the wrong spot, so I was following some older directions. I think there's a new range road that gets you like. So you That's the way I went. Yeah, it's Probably. like you go up the road, you're heading north, and it, like, hooks right. And yeah. then when you get to the end of the right road, then you turn left to go to the wheel. But then there's still about fucking, gotta be four miles of fucking pretty treacherous terrain for a car. I went through, like, ten miles of pretty treacherous terrain. Bottomed wow. out once. I, like, threw a little mud spot once. And then we went past a sign that says, if it's wet, this road becomes impassable. <laughs> That's not and a good sign. We were in the car, yeah, so we headed up there, and then it, the rain was blowing in, so we, we took off. But uh, we made it. It took us a lot longer than anticipated. Um, took a little while to find it, for sure. But I got to say, it, was, it had to be two and a half hours home for there. Mm. And that was straight home. Well, we might be going near um, near Bragg Creek as well, so maybe that's the best spot to do it. And maybe you're right. If if you're going that far and it doesn't get dark out till eleven, Oof. you know, you won't be home till four in the morning. Well, you can see flash bulbs before it's dark. I mean, we're planning on seeing some stuff here. I mean, I would just bring your tents and go camp down by the bottom of the hill there. See, I'd like to know what Michael Shermer thinks about this. Like, if we go out with intention to see UFOs and we see shit. I can think? tell you what Michael Shermer thinks about I know. That. He thinks it's all bunk, but yeah. I'd like to maybe bring him out one day. Maybe you and him can come out. Uh, I'll tell you what. If you can get Shermer to come out, I'm and in. And you're it. Yeah, yeah fine. <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it. You got me. Just got to get the Shermer. Shermanator. The Shermer. You're calling him the Shermanator now? I, and I want to be able to call him the Shermanator all weekend. <laughs> it's the profound quote of the week. Darren, can you guess it? So I'm going to go back in a few weeks with the truck. Because getting in that road with the car and then seeing the rain moving in, I really couldn't enjoy the experience. I was fucking freaking out yeah, that we were going to get fucking like stranded out there. you sit down and meditate yeah. it all and relax and enjoy yeah. the... I'm just super anxious about the fact that I don't want to get stranded out there. Yeah, with the kids and the wife in the car. Yeah. But I don't even... I don't, I wouldn't... I'd be a little concerned. I, would like, I wouldn't take Night Rider on that road. No, I won't. When was the last time you went there? Oh, like three or four years ago, probably. Yeah. yeah. And so, were you still in the Matrix then? Probably. Yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know. I I can't remember. How much do cars cost in the Matrix? <clears throat> yeah. Um. 
But there's other, there's other, we were going to go find that one that Gordon Freeman wrote about too, the, uh, Alberta Stonehenge. Yeah. And that's similar. It's like East a couple hours from Calgary. I mean, I'd be down to go hunting for sure again, but I, it's definitely in the truck. Yeah. No more fucking around in the car. Yeah. In the truck, I just feel like I can drive through way more shit. Yeah. I got four wheel drive. I got an extra foot of clearance. Yeah. All right, I got a couple quotes here from An End to Upside Down Thinking. It's a book especially for Shermer to read, see what he thinks. He might have already read it already. So I got one quote that claims psychic phenomena is real and the other side. With regard to psychic phenomena, here I will simply say, the thousands of field and laboratory studies carried out by competent scientists over the 130 plus years since the founding of the Society for Psychical Research cumul cum cumulatively well done. Pro provide an overwhelming body of evidence for those who will take the trouble to study it with an open mind that these phenomena really do exist as facts of nature. That was Ed Kelly, University of Virginia professor of psychiatry and neurobehavioral sciences. Professor. So the other side, psychic powers don't exist. We can say that with confidence, even without digging into any controversies about this or that academic study. The reason is simple. What we know about the laws of physics is sufficient to rule out the possibility of true psychic powers. Michael Shermer. <laughs> that would have been good, yeah. Sean Carroll, his friend, I'm sure. California Institute of Technology Professor of Physics. But what we know about quantum physics. What's that? What we know about quantum physics is that it could be possible. Yeah, he's a professor of physics, not quantum physics. How do you know? Well, it's, it. it's awfully presumptuous. What do you mean? Presumptuous. It said it right there. Oh, we should have him on the show. We could argue with him. Sure. But we could get Michael in and do a debate or something like that. I don't think Michael's ever coming back. I'll be honest. What? <laughs> I thought we you were think he'll come back? I thought we were building some rapport to have him back I on. I thought we did build a some rapport too, but like, I think you turned him off a little. What? <laughs> How so? Well, you got a little weird at the end. I think he got into the C-SETI stuff at the end. I could see his eyes sort of glaze over. Oh, come time on. To go. No, I didn't. I don't think so. What? <laughs> I just, I just throw it. that in there at the end? <laughs> what about C-SETI, bitch? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I think it's okay. Um, I think we could have him back on down the road for sure. I think he'd... I don't know if he'd do a debate or not. He might do a debate. He seemed gung-ho to argue with us about Graham Hancock. Know what I'm right. saying? Yeah, I do know what you're saying. Okay, I got a support email to read here, which would be fun. All right, let's hear it. Hey guys, just wanted to let you know that I really love the show and I find great value in many of the guests you have on and I enjoy your pre-chat banner just as much. I've been supporting your show for a little while now, only three bucks a month that cost me four fifty because I live in Oz. I can't afford much more as I'm a single parent with five casual jobs each week. Wow. And each week is a balancing a gig act. economy. I just heard your request to help with some big bills come up. And I've sent 20 bucks your way. It's not much, but hopefully will help some. I 
don't understand why your listeners don't provide even a small monthly donation. If everyone chipped in just a couple couple dollars a month, we'd make a big difference in your lives and say thanks for all the time and money you put into the show. Thanks a bunch from me, and I hope the extra coin helps. It's already helping. Cheers, Camille. Thank you so much. Yes, it does. Helps a big time. Maybe that just has to be on real quietly all the time. So at the back of this, playing backwards. Oh, I accidentally started playing something backwards in Studio One the other day when I was editing it. I didn't realize you could do it so easily. It weirded me out. I can't remember now if it was Studio One or Audacity. Huh. Not sure. You know, Graham Gaynor's been trying to get us to do an episode on reverse speech for like five years. Well, I think he gave up on us, to be he honest, because yeah, we, did, did. we didn't yeah. do that one. He still supports, so. I still talk to him on Twitter. Love you, Graham. Good dude. Good Graham. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should do that. I do have another interesting one that might be kind of applicable to our show tonight. I tried to save emails for... Um, for things that are applicable. I want to get your for take synchros? on this. No, I, I want to get your take on this too. So this is, this is from Ron. He said, hello, great America. Your podcast has given me many hours of great brain food. Your topics are some of the best out there and your genuine manner is probably my, my favorite part of listening to you both. I could go on and on, but I'll get to the point. I work for the Volvo group and received this email from our PR department. Couldn't help but wonder if anybody else notices how odd it is to see a company talk about lobbying the government. Maybe I'm over cynical about this, but another issue I have is how they speak to the employees as though we should all vote in accordance with the company's views. Because obviously we all care about what is best for this huge corporation. Now don't get me wrong, this company has been the best I've ever worked for, but it just rubs me the wrong way to see correspondence like this. Please don't share this attachment. They do monitor any of their outside, of their inside communications being released. But it's like a, it's like a, it's like a. Is big, that the one I tweeted? I don't think. Was so. I not supposed to tweet that? No, this is old, old. Like I've been saving this. But it's Can like I a, see it right now. Yeah, sure. But it's it's weird because it's it's like an eleven page thing talking about politics. In the, in the corporation and <clears throat> the house and the Congress and yeah, gov- the governor surprised. and it gets into like, it's like literally full of all this, all this politics about the upcoming elections. It's greasy. And yeah. they threaten that they might have to lay some people off if they, they don't get the right person in office. Yeah, but it doesn't say, it doesn't, it's really careful that it says it's, it's not partisan. Like, it, it's it's careful not to to push one way or the other, but it's still a bit weird. Got any synchros? No, that's about it, dude. Right, like 12 minutes. That's not it. <laughs> what else you got? What else you got? What's the Grimerica goodies? I don't know. You're the Grimerican goodies. You got nothing? We're out of content? 
No, I'm not out of content. So, I just haven't prepared uh, episode, anything else. Episode 361 is that episode where we ran out of content, where the support dried up. Final episode of the show. Uh, head over to grandamerica.ca slash support. Help refill that well. We're popping out to two shows a week. Graham's struggling to keep up with his email. Or he's out of email, and I'm not sure what's going on. He's just ill-prepared for this intro. Maybe it's because we have to do two intros this week to keep up with the two episodes a week that we promised we would do for the month of July. Actually, we didn't promise. We said we'd do our best. That's different than a promise. So we're doing our best. We're keeping up we're so far. And uh, we also said that if you guys can do your best to uh, head over to grindamerica.ca slash support and double the Patreon in the month of July from 100 to 200, that we would continue said pace of two shows a week indefinitely. Um, so far, we're minus two down to 98. So we went from 100 to 102 to go. Uh, we got, we're down to about 27 days left in the month. GrandMarket.ca slash support. Uh, honestly, 100 of you are going to have to step up pretty quick and have a Patreon if you guys honestly want two shows a week. I will find out. This is a test to see how much content you want. Maybe we just need to step it back to an episode every two weeks. Once a month would be good. Yeah. yeah that'd be a nice pace. Could be a little longer. We could do one almost daily. We could do one five days a week if we could, if we had the time. Sunday, Monday, happy we day. Of, we got a huge lineup of people we want to talk to. Did you line up some more emails while I've been making small talk for you here? Is that what you've been up to? Uh, no. No, I didn't think so. You are something else. <laughs> Okay, on the Facebook, climate change is dot 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 from Fortune Suffragan. Who, who put that on there? Uh, Lee Smith or Lee S. <laughs> <laughs> Fortune of Suffragate. Inevitable, but is not caused by people. Mother Earth is too intelligent for this. From Julie Norman, bought and paid for by Tobacco Science. Uh, from Dana Muka Carlson. Like the other said, inevitable, constant, natural, it's just the way it is. The Earth had gone through the Great Flood, the Ice Age, it happens. P.S. Chemtrails, geoengineering, is real. <laughs> Michelle, a hoax to implement Agenda 21 and gain total control over humanity. The climate has always changed, and these fools make up anything they like. The lies they tell is actually unbelievable. What's more unbelievable is the amount of fools who believe them. Wow. From Brandon Price, a distraction from the pole flip solar event that's thought to occur soon. <laughs> Nathan Bryson, created by geoengineering, then distorted by media to gaslight the general public to constant being taxed on the fraudulent CO2 scam. That's pretty much mine, I would say. Actually, mine's a bit of a mix of all these. global warming is a carbon tax scam. Um, Where's uh, all the proponents of this? Faith Noel, a way to scare people into the 
government, giving the government more power. From Kyle P., under intense debate and scrutiny by some pretty, pretty much religion by others. Ryan Winter, nothing any of you actually know anything about. Which is probably the best answer. Ah, we have a gift that says fake. Glenn Norrell, a fact since the dawn of time. Jordan Bailey, an ongoing process that didn't begin a hundred years ago. From Dean, normal. Patrick, caused by the sun. Bo, the only constant. Colonies and constant. Jody, has always been happening and will keep happening. From Brett Watts, well, it's cold today, but I bet I'm going to whinge that it's hot six months into the future. It must <laughs> be in the southern hemisphere. Uh, from Steve Brosnan, profitable. From Lena, a part of the shift. Dean, necessary. Christine, real. Jed Davis, normal. Jane Craig, not by man. James Nation, natural. Drew Burleson, kind of like dropping acid. You never know how someone is going to respond. Shannon, inevitable. Philip, natural. Roger, real, but irreversible. Doom. Kenny, inevitable. Randy, naturally occurring. Cassandra, inevitable. Billy, cyclical. Claire, fake. Jeffrey Wilson, in the conspiracy farm. Eugenics. <laughs> and a Russian name I can't pronounce says gay. <laughs> All right, that's there you have it. There you have it. Thanks, buddy. Awesome. Uh, overwhelming. Our community seems to be overwhelmingly anti-skeptical of climate change. So there you have it. Michael, you'd be proud of our community. We're extremely skeptical of climate science. <laughs> no, not climate science. We love climate science. We, we love it. We don't like the global taxing propaganda. I don't mind. All right. So, America.ca slash support. Did we talk about the two episodes a week? Was that on this show? Or yeah, that? yeah, we did. That was on this show? Or the last show? That's all right. Yeah. We did all that? Yeah. You want to sing us one of your songs you were going to sing? No? Alright, well enjoy the chat, I suppose. Support the show, do all that stuff. Enjoy the two shows a week. Two shows a week. Two shows a week. Coming at you. Pow, 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 pow. Most of all, enjoy the chat with the one and only Michael Sherman. got a real interesting one for you guys today. We've got Dr. Michael Shermer with us. Most of you probably know him. He's the founding publisher of Skeptic Magazine, a monthly columnist for Scientific American. He's an author and he's also the host of the Science Salon podcast, which I think has been going for at least a few months or almost a year now. So yeah, uh, yeah it should be interesting. Yeah, thanks. Welcome to the show. 
Thanks for having me. Yeah, that's good. How's the podcast going? Uh, it's growing. It's growing. It's actually we're getting about fifty thousand downloads per episode. My specialty is uh, books, new science books. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's easier to get uh, big name authors because they all want to. They're all touring for their book and promoting their book, and then all they have to do is read the book, which is not a small feat. But anyway, yeah. I do actually read the books. And then we just talk about the deep issues triggered by the book or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I've listened to a few of them. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting. And uh, yeah, I know what you mean about the books. I mean, I try to prep for uh, for most of the guests or all of them at least. And it's uh, yeah, it's, it can be can be challenging. I do a lot of audio books. I find those yes. so useful. Since I live in Southern California, we drive a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a it's a good way to consume content you have your, in your, the car. Yeah, you have your Audible dot com uh, subscription there. I yeah, do, yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. I do oh, Audible dot com <laughs> and uh, teaching company courses. Nice. Uh, which instead of spending hundreds of dollars on a college course, you can get them through Audible dot com for the cost of a single book. So it's nine ninety five for an entire college course, which is a really good deal. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. yeah, I'm the same. I go through probably about an audio book a week. I can't uh, yep. mix yep. that in. I kind of go back and forth between the audio books and the podcasts. And what I'll do yeah. is, is if a book's really good, then I'll go and I'll buy the hard copy as well. And then I find I can read the hard copy in a couple of hours because I've kind of it's right. kind of fresh in right. my head and I can highlight and and yeah, it's great. So welcome. Yeah, to it's kind of a new um, intellectual landscape for consuming content. Yeah. You know, that's changed so dramatically in just the last few years. Podcasts are amazing. I, I get so much useful information from, uh, you know, all these different, so many hundreds of different podcasts, a lot of a lot of good science podcasts. And, you know, the guests are great. The hosts are, uh, are good. The technology is getting better all the time. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and for free. I mean, you can, I mean, even years ago, when I, I started listening like eight, eight, nine years ago, I was like, anything I want to learn about, I can listen to somebody talking about it for free. It's just incredible. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The entire entire landscape is changing, even from a media perspective. Like you can you can start to see the media companies, um, especially the audio ones right now. But I mean, it's coming for video. It's just a matter of time before, uh, you know, it almost seems like the independent voice has a has a chance again. It's back to what I mean. I mean, you got it. It's a double edged sword because there's a lot of crap out there. But in some ways, it does seem like we have a chance to take back journalism and, and some of the other other problems that seem to have risen with monopolies over the years. Yeah, exactly. I'm old enough to remember just when there was ABC, NBC, CBS, and then PBS was introduced. Like, oh boy, we have a fourth network, <laughs> you know, and then now there's 500 channels or whatever, and just on TV, and then however many more on the, on the internet, thousands, tens of thousands, I guess. I have no idea how many podcasts there are. Must be thousands. I, I heard I three know. million. That's yeah, yeah, I don't want to know. The, the running number, I think, is about 3 million um, in the iTunes store, I believe. And uh, But I think it's something like, it's a crazy number. It's somewhere between 80, 83 or 93% of podcasts never get past episode 7. Really? Wow. So yeah. it's it's an interesting time. We're you know talking about the independent media and all that. I mean, this is one of the things we wanted to talk to you about too that we might have in common is over the last couple of years, especially. I mean, it must be interesting for your community as well. Uh, the, just the amount of uh, of censorship and deplatforming. And I mean, at first I thought it was more of uh, you know based on political view or philosophical view that kind of thing. But now it seems to be more about independent independent media compared to the sort of like the big conglomerates. I mean, people are getting, you know, deplatformed for criticizing a movie or for, 
you know, some random, random issue that seems to be, and these seem to be the popular people that are sort of supported by their fans. So, I mean, what's your thought about all this? Yes, well, I, in general, I think it's good. Like the printing press was was good for the diffusion of knowledge and the democratization of knowledge so that more people have access to it. Of course, the same instrument that can print Shakespeare can print Mein Kampf. So uh, there's always going to be a dark side. And, yeah. and um, you know, the solution to that is not censorship, but more speech, better speech. Um, you know, just pr- print books that counter the bad books or have podcasts that counter the crazy podcasts, something like that. Now, it's a little more complicated than that since, you know, the First Amendment is really only talking about the government interfering uh, with speech. So if YouTube, you know, if YouTube, that's a private corporation, if they don't want you on their channel, they can kick you off and they don't even have to really give you a good reason. And usually they don't. They just say something like um, terms of service were violated or some such thing, whatever that means. Um, and so I, and we can't really be against them doing that because that's the whole point of, 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 of a, of a private business is to have the freedom to do what they want to the extent that they're not discriminating. Uh, but there it gets a little fuzzy with, if you're talking about political views, you want to ban that could be a form of discrimination. And then when you leak over into someone like Alex Jones's conspiracy theories, or the, are those political expressions or are they something else? In the case of uh, Alex Jones, he got booted because uh, his speech actually did harm people. Uh, that is, his nutty followers went and harassed families of the victims of Sandy Hook shooting. And, and so the families are suing him. And anyway, he got kicked off for, for that. Milo getting kicked off, it seemed a little grayer to me. Um, the, the links between what he said and actions that could be considered uh, violence. It seemed like a, lo- a long train there. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of these guys are just, they're just baiting people anyway. You know, in the case of Milo, he's just baiting conservatives. I mean, baiting liberals to come after him. Yeah. Um, and of course, they took the bait every time. Um, I remember when he was doing his college tour and, you know, he'd be tweeting in the morning, you know, oh, my God, there's posters at the campus. They're going to come protest me. And uh, you could tell he was loving it. Pretending, pretending to be upset about it, but he wasn't. And uh, I tweeted something like, "Look, if you really want to hurt Milo, just don't go to his talk." Exactly. Yeah. I, I do a lot of public talks, and there's nothing worse than an empty room. You know, it's like, oh no, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather have prote- protesters than nobody. And uh, so, but you know, that's the world we live in. You know, people want to they, they want to have their say, and and there's so many avenues to do so to protest now. Um, there's been a slight turn in the right direction in 2018 for the uh, fewer number of deplatformings on college campuses, according to the, um, the organization that collects this fire. Wow. FIR. They, they, they said there's been a slight downtick of deplatforming and more and more colleges are adopting the University of Chicago uh, free speech um, statement. That is, you know, we're not going to have safe spaces and we're not going to protect you from microaggressions and dangerous ideas. And, you know, this is a college and you're supposed to hear whatever you hear and uh, deal with it. And uh, so it's, it's, it's written more eloquently than that. But, um, but a lot of, I don't know, maybe a couple dozen universities now have adopted the University of Chicago statement, including wow. my university, Chapman University, has adopted a statement very similar to that. And so that's a good sign. Um and I, I do agree with Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff. Greg is the head of FIRE. 
their new book is called um, The Coddling of the American Mind. And by coddling, they mean um, the kids coming into college starting in 2014 or so through today. Um, they, they seem to be triggered by uh, more and more things and smaller things than students in the past. And so what's the explanation for this? And not only that, the, there, there's been a significant rise in self-reported anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation amongst uh, these teenagers coming into college, mm -hmm. age 18, 18. Mm -hmm. three times more for girls, twice as, as much for boys. And uh, so the question is why? I mean, what's going on here? And so one idea is that they've been overprotected by helicopter parents back in the 90s when they were uh, being raised. So these are kids born 1995 and after. And this was j just at the start of the crime decline. So those parents came of age in the 70s and 80s when there was a huge spike in crime and kidnappings. And you remember the milk carton uh, kids, you know, yeah. that, that you know, face of the kid on the milk cart. So these parents, basically my age, baby boomer parents and the generation after that, they became overly protective. We got to protect our kids. And this is about when playgrounds started to turn into you know, these super padded, protected places, as if a lawyer went through and said, okay, let's see yeah. what, what we could sue somebody for for every little part of this playground. So we have to put pads and so forth. Um, that's all kind of culminated in this idea that, you know, kids are to be protected and coddled. And, and then the, the next step from that is that, well, ideas that I don't like are a threat and a kind of violence that I should be protected from. This is the line of reasoning about one theory for this. Another theory has to do with social media, too much time on social media, which can be very destructive, especially for girls, because yeah. girls are really adept at, at sticking it to each other verbally through social media. And, uh, and you know, makes a lot of these girls really depressed and anxious. And that's one explanation. Maybe it's also new. We don't have much data on this. So, you know, I'm just throwing out what the current theories are about this. But it does back to your original question, there's just so much content out there that can be offensive. I mean, uh, if I want to ruin my day, all I have to do is go on my Twitter feed and look to see what people have said in response to something I tweeted. And, you know, I'm just uh, uh, just sucked down the rabbit hole and I'm just gr grumpy for like an hour or two. And it's like, Shermer, come on, don't even look. <laughs> That's like YouTube comments. Just stay away from the YouTube comments. Yeah, totally. well, you had a problem with the Twitter, too, for a while there. You were like, I can't do oh, it anymore because yeah, it just you get sucked into the negativity and all that. I mean, it really does seem like since since in the Trump era, since Trump's come along, um, there's a hyper division has sort of ripped across uh, North America, if not the world. And that, you know, Twitter for a while, I just it was every time I went on there, I found myself arguing or positioning or something so yeah. i actually deleted it for a few months i deleted it i mean if i wanted to go on it I, I i just deleted the app because i mean obviously for the show and everything we need our branding and but i made it so if i wanted to go onto twitter i'd have to go to my web browser i'd have to navigate to the page and i'd have to log in and so i was doing it once a day instead of you know 10 times a day and you know all of a sudden i right. wasn't getting drawn into these arguments and because you're not changing anyone's mind so that, the, that's what, right. It's and, and and there's data to support what you just said. That is the polarization of politics is is a real thing. That is the number of people self-identifying as centrists has shrunk, 
and the number of people of self-identifying as far left or far right has increased. So the centrists have moved away from the center to the extremes. And so you have two big humps rather than one big bell curve. And and that's also tracked in like the amount of time congressmen spend in Washington, D.C., so first of all, and senators, that, that is, they spend less time in, in, in um, they, they spend less time working with their colleagues, more time fundraising because it's so expensive to run for office now that uh, they have far less time with each other and including members of Congress of the other party. So whereas they used to live in Washington, D.C. and spend the weekends with each other and their kids would go to the same schools and they'd play at the same parks and a Republican and a, and, a, and a Democrat would hang out at barbecues on the weekends or whatever. Now they go home on the weekends because they got a, a fundraise. And so their kids are not interacting. They're not interacting. And then, so, uh, and then talk radio and talk television has become so politicized that, you know, it's, if, if a member of the other party disagrees with you, they're not just wrong. They're evil. They're yeah, immoral. Yeah. They are the enemy you are not to fraternize with. And uh, so this is really troubling. Uh, Yeah. And the social media bubble too, hasn't helped that. I mean, getting all the stuff that you like sent to you. And I mean, it's just created also that uh, echo chamber as well, which is added to it. And it's compounded by the fact that fundraising and campaigning are sowing more division because you don't get that by saying how much you have in, in common with your opponent. You, you worry about what you don't have in common. Yeah, exactly. Instead of saying, well, I'm going to make a good deal. You got to say, I'm going to go in there and destroy the other side and get everything we want. And that's just not the nature of politics. It's compromise. It's always compromise. That's what it is. That's what happens when you have a political system set up like ours with checks and balances and, and, the fact that nobody can get too much power and no one gets everything that they want. Uh, I mean, Trump has kind of learned that the hard way, I think, you know, he's had to compromise just like everybody else, but you know, the way he then turns to his base at his rallies and just says stuff that has, you know, no relation to reality at all, but they just eat it up. And that just fuels the, you know, fuels the fires of division. And that that's unfortunate. Um, Again, I think, that could be turned around through all the fact-checking sites, for example, like PolitiFact. Uh, I like to check out because they they fact-check politicians' speeches, especially Trump, you know, in real time. You can go on and you can see the, the little meter of how accurate the politician is. So I, I'm hoping that in the next election, this will force politicians to be more truthful, just knowing that they're being monitored in real time on the Internet, you know, with little graphs, you know, indicating whether they're lying or not. <laughs> Do they fact and, check uh, the media too on that? Because I mean, that's yeah, I mean, they're, 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 it's just as are. bad. The uh, you know CNN and and them are just as bad at just saying stuff that's not true. I mean, they are. Yep, there are two. There's two major organizations. I forget which one's the left one. Yeah, the one. Yeah, they're and, one of them. The other yeah. one, and they they check each other. I guess yeah. it, that's all good. I mean, that's what we need. Yeah, uh, just to keep people honest. Yeah. So, do you think that the, the division in 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 the West right now is is a direct? Do you think Trump just sort of played off that or fell into that or is he somehow responsible for it or what role does the media play? I mean, because it all seems to be resulting in in less speech and not more speech. Yeah, I think um, it didn't start with Trump, of course. You know, it's been getting those statistics I gave you started really 
like around 2004 or so, that the, the divisiveness between you know, centrists moving to the left and right, um, that was around 2004 that began. So there you're talking Bush versus Kerry. Uh, and that's when that kind of got st- started to really take off. And that's, I think, more a result of um, like Fox News or CNN or Rush and Hannity and, you know, just just the, you know, the, the polarization driven by the uh, all sides of the media and uh, MSNBC on the other side to balance Fox News. I mean, you know, they, they all have to kind of push to, to the extremes. And then there's the, you know, the economics of it to fund your shows. You have to get a lot of clicks, uh, a lot of hits. And, uh, you know, we all know how this works. And. Um, you know, the advertising model is basically the old school one where you just have to have a lot of eyeballs or, or ears listening. And, and the more moderate and centrist you are, the fewer, you know, uh, lower ratings you're going to get. Uh, so, I mean, I think Rush figured this out way back in the day. He was the first. Um, but they've all kind of followed suit. Uh, uh, Rachel Maddow's just as bad as Hannity, I think, probably, um, you know, on both sides do it. You know, they, they push the extremes in order to get more uh, hits. So clickbait, to speak. Now, that's a problem. Do you think the repeal of Smith Munson or the, the maybe not the repeal, but the remodeling of Smith Munson in 2012 and the, the ability to run propaganda inside the borders, like Voice of America coming back and stuff like that, do you think that has added to the partisanship of the media? Yeah, maybe that that's possible. Um, yeah, uh, I mean the legalities of it. I mean this goes all the way back actually to when Rush first started, Rush Limbaugh, um, and on the changing of the law to what extent political opinions could be given on the radio and on television. And it used to be the networks had to be super careful about this. Um, and and I think uh, I forget which what the laws are called, but. Um, but those have kind of loosened up and, and there's more of that now, um, even by mainstream media sources and and journalists. Um, you know, it's like I was just reading um, uh, Mark Levin's new book, The Unfreedom of the Press. Uh, it's hit and miss. You know, he's such a firebrand and I don't like it when he goes off on the New York slimes and the Washington compost and all that. He's a <laughs> you no, know, he's a radio host. So he's he's got to whip up. The, the the you know the red meat for the base and all that stuff I don't like that yeah. but he's a lawyer and he's pretty sharp and so he does some history of the distortion of the media on both sides uh, he had a whole chapter on the New York Times completely messing up on the reportings of the Holocaust in the early 40s when uh, stories were coming out of Poland about what the Nazis were doing to Jews and then they also screwed up on the the uh, Soviet starvation of their own people, uh, the kulaks and all that, when they were having mass famines and, you know, millions were dying and the New York Times was not reporting it because at the time the Soviet Union was in good favor. Everybody liked this idea of socialism, communism, and not everybody. I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, the, the yeah. left, the left. So and the New York Times was on the left. So he really nailed them on that, I thought, fairly. Um, but, you know, other other media sources do it in the other directions too. Uh, so that's all we could do is just, you know, write books about it, have podcast discussions about it and yeah. try to make people aware um, of these biases. You know, you have to kind of work to, to get out of your own bubble, though, as you said, with the social media feeding you news uh, feed that fits what you've already searched. 
So that kind of automates the silo. Yeah. Uh, so you, you do. I, I kind of try to force myself to go to sites that I'm pretty sure I'm not going to agree with what they say. Yeah. Uh, but I kind of force myself to read it. I'll read some op-eds in the LA Times or the Wall Street Journal that I'm pretty sure I'm going to disagree with and force myself to consume it and just try to challenge my beliefs. It's hard to do. I don't like doing it. And, but I'm aware of if what happens if I don't do it. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll be biased. Yeah. Well, I think that gets worse a couple generations out from you. I mean, honestly, it's something that I personally struggle with, and it, it's kind of something that, that <clears throat> I mean, it's almost like some of that stems back to our, our lack of a, or, or I don't know if it's getting worse or better at this point, but it was definitely getting worse for a while. It was a, somewhat of a, a lack of a, I don't know if it's an emotional intelligence, intelligence or like, um, I mean, it's kind of what Jordan Peterson is pushing against when he's going around and saying, you know, life's hard, get, you know, and it's always been hard and, you know, you're not entitled to a bunch of shit. And, you know, I, I that seems that lack of whatever we're lacking there seems to be, be growing alongside our lack of being able to have civil discourse and, and be able to, disagree with someone and not call them a fucking Nazi or a whatever, yeah. you know, fill in the blank. Yeah. I mean, I know Jordan pretty well and Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin and, you know, I know these guys, they're not Nazis. I mean, they're not even remotely Nazis. It's just insane to use this word, but uh, you know, that's just kind of what it comes down to. Again, it's not enough to just disagree with somebody. They have to be and not just wrong, but immorally wrong, evil, evilly wrong. And, you know, that's just uncalled for. But, you know, being on the Internet, it's like being in your car on the 405 freeway, flipping people off. You know, what are they going to do? You know, you have a certain level of uh, anonymity and, and, and protection in your own little literal bubble there in, the, in a car. It's a little bit like that. There's no restraints. Uh, I find, you know, I'll get some crazy emails maybe a couple times a week of people just, you know, fuck you, Shermer, you piece of shit. You know, just really unload on me. And I'll write them back. I say, oh, gosh, are you, you know, you having a hard day? I mean, uh, you know, what is it you'd, you'd like to talk to me about? Oh, my God, I had no idea you'd write back. Oh, I'm really sorry for my <laughs> language. <laughs> you know? So they're just thinking, you know, it's they're just going to unload on me and it's going to be totally anonymous. And here I am listening and responding. They're yeah. like, oh, no, <laughs> that's hilarious. I'm sorry. That's how yeah. you turn a one star into a five star. Just reply. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. back to the digital censorship, like what do you, what's, what do you think about the argument that you can't defend, let's say YouTube and Facebook as private companies because they've had, they've had government funding at the beginning or they're now monopolies that, you know, and now it's, it's a public, you know, now it's the public's, you know, the public square really. Yeah. And also, um, you know, they've defended themselves by saying we're just a platform. We're not a publisher. But that's not so true anymore. The moment they're beginning deplatforming people, they are making editorial selections. Ah, yeah, yeah. Much like the op, you know, the op-ed uh, section of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. You know, those are big papers. They get you know a couple hundred submissions a day. They publish half a dozen or so, and so somebody's sitting there going, "We like this. We don't oh, like this. Yeah, this, yeah. this, and so yeah. on." And and the moment that YouTube says, okay, we don't like Dennis Prager, we don't like Dave Rubin when he interviews somebody on the right and so on, we're going to demonetize those or take them off the platform or whatever, or Alex Jones kick them off entirely. They're making editorial decisions, which means they're not just a platform, they're a publisher. And therefore, they could be held liable. So I publish Skeptic Magazine. You know, if I publish something about you that's 
you know, accuse you of being a molester or you know, whatever, and, and it's not true, and I, I damage your career, I could be liable in a court. You could sue me. Uh, at the moment, you know, YouTube and, and the other platforms are saying, you can't sue us for anything we do because we're just like AT&T. We're just like the phone lines. And, and so if I libeled you over the phone or I libeled you to your buddy there over the phone, you can't sue me. You can't sue AT&T uh, because they're not, you know, screening what people are saying. And I think what's happening on social media now with the platforms is they're becoming more and more like publishers and less and less like AT&T is just a platform. That's going to change the landscape the moment, let's say, they get sued. Well, they are being sued. They're being sued by Dennis Prager uh, for demonetizing and even taking off some of his uh, PragerU videos. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with these videos. They're, they're pretty effective. They're well-produced. I agree with maybe half of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the other half, I, I don't agree, but they're they're really great. They're really stimulating, and uh, you, you know. But the moment you start saying, "Well, these are the ones that are okay, and these are the ones that are not okay," you are editorializing. You're you're making decisions about opinions, and that's what you know. Media companies do that are not just platforms, but something else. And, and therefore, you they could be liable yeah. uh, for decisions they make that hurt people. Yeah. Well, and it can't end well. I mean, it's happening. So it's it's starting to bite them in the ass a little bit. I mean, they're starting to see people that were were for the censorship are now becoming censored. And the other problem is it opens right. things up to being hoaxed. I mean, you can have somebody in your chat room uh, spouting lies in there, and and that could get you deplatformed, or somebody could just say something like you mentioned, like let's say you accuse somebody of something, and before there has a, a chance to be defended, you're already. Uh, you know, your life's already ruined. I mean, that opens up that whole can of worms as well. Instead of us being able to, you know, to uh, to hash it out or talk about it or defend yourself, it just it takes that right away. That's right. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think the best argument for the, the best the best metaphor, or I don't know if it's a metaphor or an analogy or whatever, is like the cake. You know, everyone freaked out when the. I don't know if it was you know the hyper religious bakery didn't want to bake a cake for the gay wedding. And, you know, everyone freaks the fuck out. But when you kick Prager off of YouTube, that's okay because they're all right. 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 Yeah, the cake thing was an interesting. I went back and forth on that. Um, <laughs> it's tough to not go back and forth on it all, right? Like, I can, I get their, you know, I don't want people telling me how to run my show either. But, you know, it's like, it's a slippery slope. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, but one of the, the values of, again, everybody being free to give their opinions was that, uh, you know, I, w I would read some op-ed in the New York Times. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think they made the right decision. Then I'd read another op-ed <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal. Oh, no, 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 no. I had the completely wrong. Now, here's what I think. And I went back and forth a bunch of times and, you know, just listening to pe people's good arguments. That's how we settle what's the right thing to do. Even if we can't ultimately determine the right thing, it's a kind of democracy in which we all put our voices out there and then we each make our own decisions based on what we've heard, which is why back to the college issue, you know, these kids have got to hear every opinion. I mean, you know, the data is super clear and it's been clear for a long time that, you know, the Academy is very left-leaning, very liberal, you know, in some campuses it's like 90, 10 liberal yeah. conservative yeah. In, in some social science department. It, it's like a hundred percent or, you know, 99, one or whatever, with the exception of economics departments, they're more balanced, but um, so the chances of college kids today getting a balanced political worldview is impossible. It's not going to happen. 
just in the subtle stuff, jokes that professors tell or pass around or op-eds or whatever about Trump or whoever's president, they're not going to be neutral. <laughs> no way. And uh, so I warn my students about this. I put the graphs and charts up showing the pie chart. Here's the here's the tiny little slice of conservatives. Here's the huge slice of liberals. Uh, you know, just pay attention to this. I don't care which side you're on, but just know you're not going to get a balanced view. You're going to have to get that yourself. So this is why I encourage students to go see Ben Shapiro when he makes his appearances at college campuses. Now, I agree with a lot of his stuff. I disagree with some of his positions on abortion, for example. But um, as I tell my students, if, if you can't defend your pro-choice, they're almost all pro-choice, and I'm pro-choice, but if you can't defend the pro-choice position against Shapiro's pro-life arguments, then your, your case is not really that strong. I, th I think know, I heard you say you're pro pro-choice barely, which was a great way to barely, put it. Yes, yes, yeah. barely, yeah. yeah, yeah, because you know it's definitely a human life. There's no question about that. A fetus at any stage, yeah. You know, day one, it's it's a it's a poten it's a, it's a potential human. Whatever words you want to use. Now, it's not a legal person. You know, personhood has a different kind of uh, status legally than a human life. Uh, and that's why, like, if you murder a woman who's pregnant in her second, I think it's second or third trimester, maybe it's just third trimester, I forget what the law is, it may depend on the state, it's a double homicide. Yeah. Um, and because that that fetus is considered a person and therefore has legal standing and therefore the murder of it, it the killing of it is murder. You know, murder is you know, the illegal killing of somebody. So. Um, and that's what, of course, what the pro-lifers are trying to get all, you know, further back earlier, earlier. I disagree with that, but because it's, it's just, it's its own case. It, it doesn't, it, it doesn't apply to other moral issues. It's unique. That is a, you know, a woman carrying a child, a fetus, that's different than anything else than any other moral um, dilemma we have. So, you know, we have to treat that differently than others. There's not a single system of utilitarianism or rights or, you know, Kantian deontology or whatever. None of those uh, systems apply to all the different world dilemmas in you know, precisely the same way. Um, so I do favor the rights of women slightly more to make their own choices versus um, the, the rights of the fetus to live. Uh, but again, just barely in my arguments, you know, can be countered. I have a whole chapter or a whole section in the moral arc mm -hmm. on this, giving the history of how men have lorded it over women, uh, women's reproductive choices forever. And, and not just our species, you know, in most mammalian species, uh, due to something called paternity uncertainty. That is, mama's baby, daddy's maybe, <laughs> is, is how they put it. Because <laughs> every mother knows with 100% certainty, that's my baby, because she had it. But the father does not know mm. with 100% certainty. And the moment you get off that 100% that level and start moving down, and in humans, it you know it's hard to get this data. You know how many babies born with the father standing there? He's not the actual biological father. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I've seen numbers, you know, two to three percent to twenty percent. Yeah. You know, so it's but it's significant enough that men have always. So this is the evolutionary argument. Men have evolved a kind of cheating detection mechanism that is being hyper alert about being cheated on because you don't want to raise somebody else's DNA. That's, you know, that's counter counter to evolution. Um, and therefore jealousy is um, an emotion that drives mate guarding and mate guarding. One of the 
key characteristics of mate guarding is to pre- is to prevent women from making their own sexual choices, yeah. uh, reproduct not just reproductive choices, but whoever they want to sleep with. Okay, so you know, we're kind of pushing against that, which the law has uh, often legal systems have often had to do over centuries of moral progress. You know, people would like to enslave other people if they can get away with it. Free labor, yeah. you know, and that's and that's what people the humans have done for you know, thousands of years. You know, it's not just American enslaving Africans. I mean, this goes back thousands of years. Romans had slaves and so on. Um, so we've had to push back against that. And I, I think the right choice is to give women the freedom to make the choice, even if uh, it, it just turns out to be a form of birth control for some women. You know, and, and that's why I don't really like the arguments about, you know, rape and incest and all that, um, you know, and, and what if the woman is this and this and this. Most abortions are not under those extreme conditions. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it's more related to poverty and to what extent you can afford to have another child. Well, why did they have, get pregnant in the first place? Well, people make mistakes, you yeah. know, and we have birth control, but, you know, it's not it's not always used. You know, women like and to it's say probably not real good eating. for you, right? And it's not always healthy for women, or as women like to say, try getting a guy to put it on every time, a condom. <laughs> it's not always so easy. You know, these guys yeah. are not always willing cooperators in yeah. the in the process. And, you know, those. The, the, it's just it's just not as complicated by human nature. And, you know, these abstinence-only programs, they would work if they worked, if people worked them. I mean, in the same way that if you don't eat, you won't get obese. We won't have an obesity problem if no one eats. Yeah. Right. Okay. Come back to earth. Yeah, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you don't have sex, you won't get pregnant. Yeah. No shit, Sherlock. Yeah. <laughs> but people have sex. You know, yeah. they have sex. They like sex. It's it's a natural drive we have. And, you know, just say, just say no. Yeah. Well, okay. You know, and uh, that's not very realistic. And we have a lot of data on that now. I've, I've written about this where, uh, you know, abstinence only program, a certain percentage to get pregnant and a certain percentage of those say, I never had sex. Oh, are you telling me it was an immaculate conception? You mean yeah. you're the Virgin Mary? Oh, come on. So yeah, what, it's almost hilarious. So what, uh, and it's good to hear that free speech on the on the college campuses and all that is moving moving in the right direction. I mean, I feel like it needs to move oh. in that direction. And so no, what about... We only, uh, one, we only have one year of data points. So. Right, I know, <laughs> but I mean, that's because it's hard. I mean, I haven't seen that, uh, that trend yet, so it's good to hear that. But what about... Uh, you know, what about the rest of the platforms? And is it going to end up having to be some kind of government regulation? I mean, where is it going to go to to tighten this up so that we can, you know, I mean, it really does feel like the, I mean, I've heard about uh, the virtue signaling banks just shutting people off with, with different political views. I mean, shutting their bank accounts. I mean, it's not, that doesn't seem to be going in the right direction. Ooh. So I haven't, I haven't heard that one. That sounds like China. Yeah. You know, China's yeah. China, you know, about the Chinese program implementing the social uh, credit, credit score, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It's like a Black Mirror or an Orville <laughs> exactly. episode. You know, yeah. it's crazy. But they're doing it, and they can. You know, they have the wherewithal to do that. They're, they're they're installing hundreds of millions of cameras and so on. I'm against all that. I think that's insane. The government should just stay out of it and let the market sort these things out. Um, I'm amazed that there hasn't been a competitor to YouTube. I mean, there's Hulu and there's other smaller platforms, but I keep wondering why doesn't someone like an Elon Musk, but not him, he's busy with other companies, but, or Peter Thiel, or, you know, one of these dot-com billionaires that has, he could just take like $500 million and go, yeah. okay, yeah. we have set up this platform. It's going to be as big as YouTube. And, you know, they, they just spend a year collecting, you know, a hundred thousand uh, people that are going to post on January 1st, 
next year, boom, and they open up and it's just as big. It seems like somebody with the, the resources could make that happen. Yeah. And then, you, and then you, then they could compete. You could have YouTube, um, you know, deplatforming people and this other place that says everybody's welcome. Yeah, but we might be, we might be past that point well, though. I, I, I mean, the corporations are too big and they go, they got too much control right now. Like we're past the point buy, where the yeah. free market can get That's get involved. I feel like it's almost going to have to be some sort of like, like your phone, like your phone lines and the, the stuff that we use for. Nobody listens to your phone calls. You know, AT&T doesn't uh, have control over who calls you or not. Why Why can they have control over, over yeah. the stuff they do? I don't know. I have a <coughs> – excuse me. There is my personal opinion about it. I tend to move away from too much government regulation. Yeah, yeah. In, in, yeah. in reality, I think it, that it's going to be regulated. I yeah. think that's – I think if the – I think the uh, social media companies now are all scrambling to regulate themselves – before the government does, right? It. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're, basically, they're trying to say, "Look, look, we're we're doing it, we're doing it. Don't 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 come in here. Yeah. We don't want your bureaucrats nosing around in our in our company." So, uh, so there there, there might may, may, that could explain why some of the deplatforming has been going on. Just they're they're sort of virtue signaling themselves, going, "Look, we're doing something about it." You know, after that after that scene with Mark Zuckerberg, you know, on on Congressional Hill, there, um, you know, giving his his interview with the. <laughs> Congressman, we sell ads. Oh, what is this internet thing you guys have? Oh, God. You know, it's like an eye opener for a lot of Americans. Like, what is this now? Social media? They make money? How do they do that? <laughs> it's, oh, it's, a, it's a sad state of affairs. And I mean, especially when you look towards the U.S. system as probably being, you know, the gold standard for a democracy system. And this is what you've got in place, which kind of brings me to my next point of like, you know, lobbying seems to be a big a, a huge problem and maybe term limits for everyone in the government and in, in some aspect. And, but, but to, to kind of swing that same thing over to the sciences, what percentage of the sciences do you think these days are sort of bought and paid for by the corporate corporations? Uh, well, sciences have gotten pretty good about that after the tobacco with the tobacco companies uh, funding uh, the primary research on tobacco and cancer um, now most journals have, you know, make you sign, well, you have to fill out this form that you, in which you declare any potential conflicts of interest. You have to tell where you got all your funding for your research from and that, that all has to be pretty transparent. And if you're not, if you get caught, then, then it's a, it's a big mark against you ever getting published again. Um, universities, you know, they, they track and post all the grants that scientists get, uh, and where the money comes from. Uh, so that's, fairly transparent that way to prevent this obvious problem that, yeah. that certainly is there. Um, yeah. So I, still stuff leaks through or, you know, now we're currently going through the so-called um, replication crisis in psychology, especially social psychology, where a lot of the classic experiments from the sixties, seventies and eighties and so on are, are, are been unable to be replicated, maybe half of them. And it's not that because there was fraud or overt bias so much as just, the, the way the scientific methods were structured, where you'd conduct, like, say, a dozen experiments in which you're monitoring, say, a dozen different variables. And then, you know, two experiments had three variables in which the results were statistically significant. So you, you publish those. And what the reader doesn't know is, like, you know, the 200 other variables and conditions that were measured, and there were no effect. And that's just as interesting, actually, that all these other things had no effect on your independent variable that you were studying. So why is that? 
This is called a file drawer problem. That is, journals are only interested in publishing result, positive results, mm. even though negative results are just as important. This doesn't cause cancer. That doesn't cause cancer. Those are good thing, good things to know. Yeah. Uh, but the fact that you know those don't get published, so okay, um, and that's a problem. So uh, uh, you know, it's but but again, we're aware of this, and and there's you know efforts to um, try to replicate experiments and and then publish the non-replicable results as if that was interesting because it is interesting and important. I'm I'm, I'm curious, so. So there, there is there direct evidence that the tobacco companies were funding the tobacco research? Is that like uh, settled science? Yeah, that's settled science. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, tobacco companies were definitely funding research on the effects of tobacco and on cancer. In the same and way the that sugar, a lot of oil sugar people too, yeah, right? Sugar, yeah, it happened in the sugar sugar, thing too. sugar sugar companies. Absolutely. Yeah, that's another story. Uh, if you look at Robbie Kenner's film um, uh, Food Inc. And then his second film, uh, Merchants of Doubt. The Food Inc. is about the food industry and about this very problem uh, where these giant corporations would set up uh, these nonprofit think tanks like you know, Americans for Clean Food or uh, Clean Air or Americans for Healthy Food or you know, something like that, or the Society for the Study of Food, you know, this kind of stuff. I'm just making these up. Uh, but there's like a dozen of those. And, well, how are they funded? They're funded by these giant corporations that make a lot of money on sugar, for example. And lo and behold, the researchers you know, are finding, hey, sugar is great for you. you know? <laughs> so this is a long, interesting history. Uh, Gary Tobbs gets into this in his uh, book called The Case Against Sugar, uh, that you know, after Eisenhower had his heart attack in uh, the late 50s, and uh, I think it was middle fifties or so. And uh, so I was trying to figure out what it is he was doing that made him unhealthy. Oh, he ate a lot of meat. Okay. So meat is bad. And, and, by, and by the way, no, no one mentioned the fact that he smoked a couple packs of cigarettes a day. All right. So meat is bad. Okay. So, and then they decided like Americans have to get off meat and, and eat less, you know, uh, cholesterol and so on and, and animal based products. So, so food without those products in it tastes like crap. It tastes like cardboard. So you got to put something in it. So what you put in it is sugar <laughs> and, and all these different derivatives and flavors and so on. So Americans start consuming more and more of this crap. And, and so the obesity rate goes up, heart disease rates go yeah. up and so on, even though the allegedly bad cholesterol and meat and so on was taken out of the diet, eggs and so on. Um, you know, so Gary tracks that <laughs> super interesting story in great detail. I'm skimming over it here. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it, when you look into the, well, who was who was saying that it was bad or whatever, it was good and so on? Well, it's these front groups um, that are doing these studies funded by, you know, in the back door, secretly, these giant corporations. So that's, that's a pr problem. Same thing with climate. You know, a lot of the fossil fuel companies funding climate scientists to say that, you know, it's not settled science and all that stuff. That's in Merchants of Doubt. Um, that film, that's based on a book called Merchants of Doubt, where they track it exactly, really clearly, where the monies came from, where the money went, who published what study based on that money, and so on. It's, it's, it's definitely the linkages are there. So is that another, another case where you think it's uh, more speech is better for that environment than less speech? Yeah. Totally, yeah. Yeah, let's just, well, transparency. Yeah, because that's, I mean, I don't want to get into a vaccine debate here. I mean, I think we're probably on opposite sides of that. 
But I mean, of which, of which? Uh, uh, the the vaccine debate going across vaccines, America right, yes. right now. But yeah, I mean, it seems to me like the last thing that that we should be doing is, is you know what we're doing, knocking it off of Twitter, knocking it off of Facebook, saying that the you know trust the government. That's a, a thing where I think a lot uh, of that transparency and or maybe just well, a, you mentioned corporate influence and big pharma paying yeah. for studies and stuff like that. I mean. That, that's got to be well. So uh, I'm uh, I'm not familiar with what you just said. So anti-vaxxer voices are being kicked off social platforms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't even have a debate. Not, not it's not not even. Let's not even say anti-vax. Just questioning vaccine safety, for example. I mean, even talking yeah, I, talking I, I, about I see, that, uh, you get. Uh, I, I see Robert F. Robert Kennedy Jr. all the time. Uh, and there's a big film that he, he it's been, yeah, that's been knocked off. Michael. That's been removed. Yeah, from it's been removed by yeah. from, from Amazon yeah. and, and everything yeah. else at this point. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, okay. yeah, I mean, that's, so that, I'm, I mean, I'm glad you're, you know, you're aware of the institutional dishonesty. That's where I think would, would be helpful for people like yourself to look at and, and those organizations. I mean, instead of focusing on, I'm not saying you do focus on this, but you know, the, whether tarot or astrology or real or whatever, it's this, it's this corporate um, then in institutional dishonesty that's really that a, kind a of problem. walks that line, and I mean it's kind of weird because it can also be like it can it can be like extrapolated to the to the socialism and libertarianism sort of argument as well. I mean, I was I I leaned a lot more libertarianism on a lot of things until I talked with, with my buddy Dave Matheson, and he starts talking about you know if you if you just let these corporations run amok, you're going to have a bigger problem than you think you've got with the government. And it's like, well, where does, how do you, how do you sort of, how yeah, do you like, yeah. draw like, that line? Like big pharma puts 5 billion into the, into the mainstream media advertising. And as if they're ever going to talk about studies against anything that big pharma does, I mean, you know, it, you can't even say anything bad against them anymore. Well, can't here's the solution to the meat, the, the, the vaccine measles problem we're currently going through. You are free to not vaccinate your kid, but freedom for you to swing your arm ends of my nose. So you can't send your kid to my school if he's unvaccinated because there are kids there that are can't be vaccinated for some reason, and therefore they're not going to be protected. So, I mean, that that's a solution. You know, just you can't go to public parks or you can't fly on airplanes if, you know, you're unvaccinated because of the threat it causes to other people. Now, anti-vaxxers have kind of gotten away with it for a while, their kids not being vaccinated, because they're surrounded by everybody that's vaccinated. But when you breach the herd immunity of about 10% of, of a population not being vaccinated, then it can start to spread. That's what we've been seeing recently, just in the last few months with measles and other cases before that. In these communities like in uh, Northern California, Oregon, Colorado, uh, where there's a kind of a center of anti-vaccination, you see these communicable diseases spreading. Uh, it's dangerous, you know. I mean, the counter to anti-vaxxer arguments is better arguments, of course, always. Uh, but that's, I think we've kind of gone through that battle long ago. Uh, you know, we've, uh, and this is called moving the goalposts. So the anti-vaxxer said, oh, it's, you know, it's the mercury in the vaccines. Well, so they took the mercury out by 2000. Okay, it's not the mercury. It's, you know, the number the aluminum. of them. The aluminum or the number of them or the order or, you know, the age at which they're given. So and they keep moving the goalposts. Like, we're sticking with this story. The vaccines are bad. And we're going to change our story every time you debunk one of our arguments. And that's been kind of the frustrating thing uh, about countering the anti-vaxxers. I'm not a doc. I don't do this profession. But I yeah, watch yeah, 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 people yeah. do this. And I, I yeah. can see the goalposts being yeah, moved. Yeah. 
Yeah, and it does. I mean, it doesn't help when you when the U.S. is like the most dangerous developed country in the world to have a baby. I mean, when you have when you have stats like that, it, it it's not it's not helping the argument. And it's another thing. I mean, the U.S. is is a weird one because the healthcare system is kind of a mess at the same time, and access to healthcare and totally it, fucked up. It's completely fucked up. I've had I've just had crazy experiences just in the last six months with our healthcare system here. Uh, like today, I had to buy. I have a cold, right? So I got some new meds. That, you know, the grand total is five dollars and thirty six cents. Wow. Okay, that's great. But last week, I had to get these these atomizer sprays. Uh, one of these things. Um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. We, we're doing we're doing audio, but you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, yeah. this was two hundred fifty bucks. Oh, yeah. I'm like, what the fuck? What do you mean two hundred fifty dollars? You should just what get am a flu I, shot. What am I? What am I paying for with my health care? You know, it's like, oh, well, that's the, you know, they look on the, that's what the chart says. We have to charge like yeah, with yeah. the chart. Who yeah. made the chart? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then I'll tell you a funny story. <clears throat> Last year I got, I've been a long, lifelong cyclist. So my thumb, I got a little arthritis in my thumb joints here. So I went to a thumb doctor and he, you know, I said, well, we can do the surgery, blah, blah, blah. It's super expensive and long. And so on, or we can give you these thumb splints. So he gives me these little thumb splints. They're nothing. They're like two little straps with some Velcro. You know, probably cost a dollar to make in China or something like this, right? So he just gives them to me. I'm like, oh, that's nice. I mean, I paid $75 copay, so at least I could get us some thumb splints, right? So the next thing I know, I get in the mail a bill for the thumb splints, $1,200. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck is this? $600 for each of them, you know? And so I, I look on the on, on the logo of the box to see the company, and I go online, and there is the company selling the exact same product online retail for 28 bucks. I'm like, where did they get the $600 number? So I call the, the office and they give me somebody who gives me somebody. Oh, well, I'm looking it up here. Yes, according to Blue Shield, this is what we're supposed to charge. I'm like, where did they get that number? Because I could buy it for 28 bucks. Well, $600 is the number. Yeah. <laughs> so I then I called Blue Shield. I said, you are being ripped off because Blue Shield had to pay uh, $500 and I had to pay $100 of yeah. that $600. Yeah. For a twenty eight dollar item, everyone's getting like, ripped off. Yeah, totally. I said, you guys are getting ripped off. This is the kind of thing you see on sixty minutes on Sunday. <laughs> this is why healthcare is so fucked up. Yeah. But, so this is great. The lady at, at Blue Shield goes, "All right, let me keep you on the line. I'm going to call this office." I'm like, "Ooh, this should be good." So the next thing I know, she comes back on. She goes, "Okay, I got so and so at the office. The woman I talked to," and she's like, "Oh, Dr. Shermer, can I talk to you privately?" I'm like, "No, you already talked to me privately." Now you're going to explain to this woman from Blue Shield why you're charging six hundred dollars. Uh, uh, and then she started babbling something, and and she says, "Look, we'll, we'll just forget the the amount that you owe. You you can wow. just have." Wow. I'm like, "Yeah, okay, all right. That satisfies me." But <laughs> are you still charging Blue Shield five hundred bucks for this twenty eight dollar item? Yeah. I mean, who's making this money? It's yeah. like, and this is nothing. This is a tiny little thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, heard- you go to the you go to the hospital for a major surgery for two weeks or something, you know, there's like 50 things, but like I just described, yeah. you know, the as- the aspirin that's a hundred dollars, the band aid that's yeah. 50 bucks or you know, something crazy. Yeah. I've heard rumors about that. And well, we've got universal healthcare here, but uh, I mean, I've heard the rumors that the, I've heard the rumors that people see the paperwork that it's like 35 bucks a bandit or like we're doing the extension on the hospital. And it's like, there's two companies in Canada, one striker and one's another one. I've built a couple hospitals, so I kind of see the back end of the equipment that's coming in, and there's two of them. Yeah. And it's like that that folding bed and stuff. I mean, it's a nice little bed. It looks like it's worth probably five, six hundred bucks, maybe even fifteen hundred bucks. 
It's like, oh yeah, that's like a nine thousand dollar bed. It's like, holy <laughs> shit! Well, there, that's where my money's going. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's. Yeah, I mean, so I'm glad I, it's I, at least not like. I mean, my buddy Brandon just had a kid down in down in the states, and he was saying, you know, it's you you need to have you need to have a few grand kicking around. Where it's like, when when I had my kids, it's just you know, go have your kids. It's crazy. Yeah, I don't I don't know the good solution for this. If I was president, I. I I really wouldn't know what to do. Yeah, it's just yeah. so it's just so messed up. My wife's from Germany. You know, it's universal healthcare in Germany. Super simple. I mean, they all pay they pay more taxes, but it's not that much more, and they get everything for free. I mean, you just go, and there's great doctors, and you know, they don't have all this copay add on this, that, and the other. And before you know it, you're broke. Do they have to wait a while there for uh, for, no, for, no, no, because no. I mean, here you got to wait uh, six yeah, to nine that. months for. For MRI. any kind of MRI or even like simpler things, it's just it's uh, it's really hard to get diagnosed. Unless you can convince a doctor to write urgent on it, yeah. then you're then yeah. you're in. urgent. Yeah, yeah. You just have an urgent stamp. <laughs> I got a I got a before we wrap up, I do got a question from the the chats here that says there's a, a little synchronicity you might be able to tell us about uh, something about a scientific American article about your wife's dad's radio. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a. Uh, oft told story now because it, it indicates that maybe I'm friendly to the paranormal. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm an open, I'm an open minded guy. That's good. Um, and, uh, you know, there are mysteries I can't explain. That's true in all sciences. Anyway, my, I mentioned my wife's from Cologne, Germany. So she, we met on, online. She wrote to the office to complain about the shipping costs of Germany. So I, and when she sent me a picture, He's really gorgeous. I thought, oh, well, I will hand deliver our magazines to Germany. <laughs> okay, I'm just kind of joking. Uh, anyway, but we met and, and, and then fell in love and all that stuff. So she moved to California to be with me. And then we decided, because our immigration system is so messed up, that they weren't going to let her back in if she went home again, because she'd been back and forth several times. And uh, so we decided to get married, because we're going to do that anyway. And it's kind of a slapdash quick thing at the Beverly Hills uh, courthouse. And then called my friends and family, come on over going to have a little celebration tonight and have a little another wedding ceremony in my home in Altadena, Pasadena area of Southern California. Anyway, so uh, she had shipped out her belongings for months before, and I kind of put them away, including this radio. She had this little Philips transistor radio that her grandfather uh, used to play with her. She was raised by a single mom and her grandpa. So the radio had significance because he's gone now. And uh, so I tried to get it to work. It hadn't worked in years. And I couldn't get it to work. You know, I did the old slap on the table, you know, to try to jolt it in new batteries and check the wires and all that stuff. Nothing. Anyway, so I just threw it in the back of a drawer in the back bedroom. And, you know, that so we're back at the house about to have our little ceremony. And she's feeling kind of bad. She has no friends or family there. Just me and then my friends and family. So, you know, she needed a quiet moment. So we go back in the bedroom and all of a sudden music starts playing (laughs) romantic music. And it's like, you know, I don't have a PA system in this house. You know, maybe it's my laptop with iTunes or my phone or the neighbor. No, no, no. Seems to be coming from this desk. So I open the drawer and there's the radio playing beautiful, perfect music, perfectly tuned in. It's like, holy crap. <laughs> so my wife is, of course, like, wow, Jennifer's, you know, my grandma. She, now, she, now she's an atheist like me. She's, you know, she's a skeptic and so on. So she's not thinking grandpa's in the room right with us right now, you know. Has he been in the bedroom for all these months? We've been, you know, <laughs> which would be kind of weird. Uh, but no, she didn't think that. But just that the timing of it, the specialness, the, you know, the importance of it, the you know, connection to her loved one 
and so on. So I wrote about that. You know, I got a boatload of mail about that. Mostly stories from people that had similar kind of things yeah. happen to them. Yeah. And there's a lot of that that goes on. Yeah. The point of my story was, you know, what do you do with those? You don't have to do anything with them. Yeah. You can just say, look, I don't know. Can't explain everything. I'm not committing to a whole supernatural paranormal worldview. I'm just saying weird shit happens. If it's meaningful, then enjoy it. And that's good enough. Yeah. Embrace the mystery. I mean, that's, uh, that's one of the things, I mean, we don't have a lot of time now. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the null hypothesis and go over some of that stuff. But, um, I guess before we do go, maybe you can mention, like, have you been paying attention to, uh, and it's just something we're interested in here, UFOs and all that. I don't mean ET. I just mean unexplained aerial phenomena, let's say. Yeah, but there's, yeah, uh, yeah. There's a lot of this now. The mainstream's coming out. People are forwarding this last articles week, all the time. Crazy. And last week, like, oh, Navy pilots seeing something every day. So, um, you yeah, know. That what? particular story is a couple years old. Uh, it's back in the news now for a very, very interesting reason. Yeah, last yeah, night was yeah. the premiere episode of a History Channel series on UFOs. <laughs> particularly military sightings of That's UFOs. That's interesting, yeah. And so, you know, the, the reason it's back in the news is because some publicist yeah. at the History Channel yeah. made it a news story. Yeah, they kind of made it a new news story, right? Trying to say news. that they, uh, they've they been seeing them every day and all this. Like, And I look, Good I read through it, and I'm like, I read through it, I'm like, is this the same story that they mentioned a couple of years ago? I was trying to, you know, dissect it. it yeah. to, it's, the yeah. it's the same story. It's an interesting story. I can't say I have an explanation for it. Yeah. My, UF, my UFO skeptic friends, you know, they don't know. Yeah. It, mainly be, the reason we don't know is because it's it's most of it's classified information. Some of it's leaked out, you know, and, and so but we have to remember when you read those reports, like, you know, the pilot said it was going 700 miles an hour, 300 meters long. And it did, did this and that. The, these are just coming out of people's heads. Right. There's no instrument readings that we go, look there. We know the exact speed and size, nothing like that. And pilots are no better than any of us at perceiving things in the atmosphere, say, without some kind of ruler or measure that you can guide it by. Their senses work the same way as ours. And we know from, say, back in the 80s, 70s and 80s, pilots would tell these fantastic stories about these these UFOs way up in the upper atmosphere at, you know, at incredible speeds. They were describing the U-2 spy plane, and then they were describing the SR-71 Blackbird. Yeah. You know, you know, a commercial airline goes about 500, 550 miles an hour. You know, the, the, the Blackbird SR-71 went 2,500 miles an hour. Yeah. Yeah, it's five times as fast as, as other planes. At, yeah, at, that, at would look, 70, that would look 70,000 yeah. feet. You yeah. know, commercial airline at 35,000 feet. So yeah. it's twice as high going you know, five times the speed, yeah. that's going to look weird to anybody. Yeah. And now we know what it is. Okay. So yeah. like my guess is it's something like that. It's just some top secret military aircraft, probably one of ours. Tic-tac shape. Uh, Always ahead of you, right? That, <laughs> Tic-tac shape. Yeah. That, I know the shape is pretty weird, you know, but uh, no, but, who I mean, knows? but I mean, there has been, you got to admit there has been uh, visual sightings confirmed by radar and different physical means as well. I mean, if you look deep enough into the records, there's, there's some, there's some a mono, anomalous sightings for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so it's uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting times in the next few years. I mean, uh, Darren, <coughs> we got anything else before we, uh, no, I think that's uh, about, we got about an hour, probably about time to, to wrap well, it up. Gentlemen. We yeah, managed thanks. to get through the show without cool. fighting, which I, I think yeah. is great. Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, I think both of our positions are are, are needed in today's world. Uh, we need to, we need to totally. push the machine from both sides and see where we can get it to 
let loose a little Absolutely. bit. Yeah, maybe next Absolutely. time we'll maybe next time we can argue about the null hypothesis and get into you know UFOs and the okay. paranormal a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. But yeah, it's, now that we're we'll, warmed we'll do it up again next year. Yeah, we're all warmed up. Good. All right. Okay. All thanks, right, Michael. Thanks. Have a good day. Okay. Bye. Take care. That was our chat with Michael Shermer. What'd you think, Ooh. buddy? That was fun. It went by really fast, yeah. really fast, too fast. I had a list of stuff that I wanted to get through. Look at this. You didn't even get triggered once. No, I almost did on the climate change thing. I wanted to push back a little bit on that. I'm like, oh, so the oil companies are getting, there's, it's coming from the oil companies that are getting paid to deny climate change. What about the only the one side funding to propagate that, uh, that we're the full cause of climate change? That's right. Eh? That's right. I I had a whole list of things I wanted to talk to him about in that regard. (laughs) But then we would have spent the whole call in the weeds. What? And we would have spent the whole time in the weeds arguing. Yeah, but you know, we—I would like to talk to him a bit about that. I mean, we I mean, can we should, I'd it. like to have him on a as a, on a debate about climate change. I mean, we should really do a climate change debate one because I mean, we are affecting the climate for sure. But I don't agree with uh, what they're doing about it. You know, we should be focusing on other issues, like what, like all the fucking real pollution that's happening. You know? Absolutely. Well, anyway. Big thanks to Michael for coming on the show. Fantastic yep. chat. Big thanks to Graham for not getting triggered. Reintroduce the show. I remember uh, more than a couple times over the that? course of the show, you'd said you'd never interview Michael Shermer. No. Yeah. Really? But then, I mean, the timing really? seemed right. Uh, I follow that. You did. <laughs> We're not having Shermer on. It's a different time. It is. It is. Do we have things in common now? Right? That's what because I noticed. We're about because I to follow not him on to discuss stuff. I was following him on Twitter, and you can kind of see it. You know, I could see that you guys were going to agree on more than you disagreed on. Yeah, and I mean, he look he he is he is open to certain things, but he's also still like you know he's still sort of touting the mainstream line on a lot of these topics. I mean, I wanted you know what? Here's what I wanted to get into on vaccines, and I didn't want to go back there and derail it, but I want to talk about that Navy ship that's got 100 percent people vaccinated, and there's a measles outbreak on there. So. Is that fake news? Isn't that mumps? Is it mumps? Mumps. See, I don't even know what fucking yeah, it is. It's just best to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> but is that real? Like, and is that because it's only ninety-seven percent effective that something slipped through? And then also about the two thousand four to two thousand fourteen that nobody's died from measles yet. One hundred and five people died from the vaccine, and that's just what's reported in VARES. So, you know, we know that that's really, really low. That's right. So what about those? I've been talking to Jimmy. We're going to do something with with Dell here soon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd like to do a climate change one. All right. Well, you line it up. You line it up. No, I mean. Well, you let me know and I'll help you line it up. Okay. Who you're thinking. Okay. Well, who do you think? I don't know. I was kind of watching that one guy, Goddard, but I don't think he seems like a bit uh, loosey-goosey with the facts. Yeah. So I don't want to get into that. You know what? I'll ask... uh, I mean, Randall, I'll see if Randall I can get... might want to do it. I mean, that would be fun. Randall seems to be able to do, be doing it, maybe, but... Yeah, we could talk to him about that. The other one, I know Scott Adams was pushing down that road for a little while. Maybe I'll shoot him a message and see if he can suggest a couple people we could what? pin up against each other. Wait, how how was he going down that road? Uh, I don't really listen to his show all the time, but I know he did, like, 10 or... ten or For, for like, a couple weeks straight, he was he was all about climate change. What about it? I don't know. Tweets yeah. go by fast, you know, okay, yeah, and I'm not yeah. really paying attention to it. The I thing, just know he was hyper-focused on it for a while. The thing that's disappointing about 
about the skeptical attitude and all that is, is why aren't they a little more skeptical on when anything's parroted to that point where all the media is pushing one way and you can't even debate it, that that should be a sign, right? That there's something that needs to be debated there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Big thanks to Michael for coming on the show. Check him out on Twitter at Michael Shermer. Check out his website, skeptic.com. And uh, what do you want? What are you going to rate his synchro? I'll let you rate it. Uh, what was the song? I wanted to know about the song. It was romantic on his well, wedding night. I thought the song had more significance. If the oh. song was like his, his, his wife's dad's favorite song or her favorite song, then it'd be more. So. It's on their wedding day, which is unannounced. That's pretty cool. Yeah. But I thought there was something, the first time I heard that, have you never heard that story before? No. First time I heard it, I thought, I thought the song had major significance. Oh, uh, so I wasn't, I didn't, wasn't sure about asking the question because I wasn't sure if it was going to be offensive or not because I didn't know anything about it. So I was like, fuck it, I'll just go for no, it. I, the reason I didn't ask it is I heard it quite a few times before. Anyway, great chat. Thanks, Michael. Thanks to all you guys for supporting the show. Grammarica.ca slash support. Uh, without you guys, we wouldn't be doing the show. We'd be uh, canceled. We would be. We'd be moved on. We'd be shoveling driveways for extra cash. Uh, so check out grammarica.ca slash support today. Join the cause. Join the movement because we love you and we need you now more than ever. Um, check out all the stuff in the show notes too, guys. There's about uh, five or six different little things we ask you to do there. Review the show, a couple little things like that. All yeah. pretty easy. Take you a couple minutes. Really means a lot to us over here in Grammarica. Email us feedback and questions. Graham at grammarica.com. That's right. Yep. Stories, synchronicities, whatever. All that stuff. All that stuff. Other than Instagram. That, send you guys some good vibes. Check us out on Instagram. Check us, us out on Instagram. Instagram. Follow us. Share us. Like us. We love you. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week.
mind elevation There must be a glitch in the Another adventure in coffee enemas. Oh man. Oh, oh god. Oh my god. You just gotta get the washroom. Okay, I'm almost there. Oh, one more step. Okay. Oh god. I just gotta get these pants off. Oh, it's here! Feel inside of me. All this, all this power. All this invigorating energy. I, I, I feel like I can arm wrestle a moose. I gotta keep going. I gotta move. I gotta run. Oh my god! I'm going for a run! 